What's death? My grandkids have already started asking me that. Papa, what's death? They'll hear that I have done a funeral. They'll hear that I have visited somebody. And the word will be spoken with it. Yeah, that person died. Or that person is, is wrestling with life and are probably pretty close to death. And inevitably, no matter how many times they've already asked it, one of them will ask it again. What's death? And let's be honest, we ask it over and over again in life, don't we? We ask it when we're kids and we're first trying to figure it out. We ask it as we begin to lose the people that are close to us. We stand around at funerals and we may not actually think about uh, having the discussion, but it's going through our minds. What do we think is going on? What has happened? Well, welcome to humanity. Because for as long as people have lived, people have asked the question, so what happens in death? If you were an ancient human, by ancient I don't mean like billions of years ago, you know I don't believe in that, if you do, we'll talk. You know that I'm talking about thousands of years. If you're one of the ancient humans that came from a Mesopotamian culture, that's that culture that is between what we call the Middle East and China. I know it's getting harder and harder to figure out where China ends nowadays. Well, it wasn't so hard back then. There were mountains and nobody came over the mountains. And there was this group in an area of the world that we call Mesopotamia. It's some of the oldest cultures that we find and the oldest humans ask the question so what happens when a person dies and here's the way they answered that in ancient Mesopotamia they said well when you die you basically become a ghost and you just travel back and forth between an underworld and the world that we live in. And so it was not unusual for an ancient Mesopotamian to think that as they're eating dinner, somebody that has died might be there eating dinner with them. Not actually eating the dinner, but their spirit would be present because the, the, the barrier between life and death could be crossed by those who had died. And of course, as we have in, our, uh, in every culture since then, we have our psychics and mediums in ancient Mesopotamia that if you wanted to talk to grandma, grandpa, child, parent, well, you just go to them because that spirit could be called forward from that underworld. It was not necessarily good. It wasn't bad. It was just kind of a shadow. That's the way they viewed it. It was just kind of a shadow of this world. So you continued to live life. You still knew family. You still, And that's the way we lived. 
for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years as people. Not long after Mesopotamia, which is, which is a culture that was founded on this big river, the Euphrates, and the Tigris over there, we talk about those in the Bible, don't we? Is this culture called the Egyptians. They evolved a little bit from the Mesopotamian thoughts about death. Because they believed when you died, and remember the Egyptians, we've seen this because in our world, uh, it's, it's only been within the last hundred years that we've been able to get down into some of the pyramids. And so many of us remember King Tut and the discovery of King Tut and King Tut as he made his tour of the world, this mummified king, the curse of King Tut. Those were the movies of my childhood. The Egyptians took it a little bit further. And it wasn't a shadow world after death. It was a full-blown world. And so for the Egyptians, the way that you were remembered, the way that you were honored, was the status that you would have in this underworld. And this goddess by the name of Osiris ruled over the underworld, and, and pharaohs still got to be pharaohs, and, and people still got to be everything that they were. The most important thing for an Egyptian was, well, it was two things. Number one, if you could mummify the body, that really, really helped in, in the life that was to come. And anything you could give them that would help them on that journey was very beneficial to them. And if you remembered the name, which is why we've got hieroglyphics and stories all over the tombs, all over the pyramids, anywhere you go in ancient Egypt, you find pictures. Because their thought was, not everybody you see was rich enough to afford an embalmer. So it could be just enough in the underworld for your name to be there. Any of this stuff sound familiar? We put gravestones and headstones over our graves and, and we carve the name on there and we might even carve a, a, a saying on there. Why? Because we want to be remembered. Now, we don't believe when we do that anymore that, that uh, we're somehow giving them a life in an afterworld, but we're still looking for how do we preserve who a person is? Well, the Egyptians thought that who that person was was preserved in this, this great kingdom. Not necessarily a bad place. Not like the Mesopotamian, not like the other ancient religion, that it was just kind of this drab existence that, that you just kind of floated back and forth between the world that you really wanted to be in and the world that you were stuck in now. Well, the Mesopotamian and the Egyptians gave way to uh, civilizations like Assyrians and, and uh, the Greeks and the Romans and, and, and history charged on. And by the time we get to Jesus' day, by the time we get to Paul and the writing of the book of Romans, here's what ancient Israel believed. Ancient Israel believed that you had there that there were two things that could possibly exist. And and as an Israelite, you basically just chose which one you were going to believe in. Number one, there was a huge segment of the, the Hebrew population that just believed when you died, that was it. Annihilation, you're done, 
There is no soul that lives beyond this. Everything that you are for this group of Hebrews lived on through those that came after you. That's why it was so important to have children to that group of Hebrew people. Because your soul was passed on to the next generation and they passed it on and they passed it on. And basically you had nothing to worry about after death because life was just over. And so they would interpret uh, Hebrew scriptures like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may surely die as, yeah, this is all we got. Make the best of it here. Be faithful to God and make sure that you have kids and make sure that you raise those kids to be good Jewish children. Because that's how you perpetuate your soul into the future and who you are. Now that was one group of, of, uh, of Jewish people. But the other group of Jewish people were a group that uh, we called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees believed that there actually was life after death. They just thought that you didn't know anything in that life. In other words, you slept. You rested. You waited. And so we get the story of Jesus telling a parable about a rich man and a man named Lazarus. And in the story of life after death, the rich man is tormented and Lazarus is at rest and at peace. And they're both waiting on the day of resurrection. They're both waiting on the day because that's the Pharisees' belief. Pharisees believed, this whole big group of the Hebrew nation believed, that when you died, you just slept. You just rested. Man, that was a hard life. Or, wow, that was a good life. It's time to go to bed because when I wake up, I'll be with God. When do you wake up? They don't know. Thousand years? Two thousand years? A million years? Who cares? Because we're asleep. It's kind of the way I feel every time I have to go in for an operation. And they're like, we're going to put anesthesia on you. And I'm like, yes. Because I don't know nothing until some nurse is rudely shaking me saying, it's time to wake up. It's like, no, it's not. Because I don't have any clue what has gone on for the last two or three hours. Everybody's been working, doing all their stuff, and I'm oblivious. That's the Pharisee's idea of death. And the next thing a Pharisee believes that they will know is life. Now, this is highlighted in a biblical story that many of you know. Lazarus has died. His sister... Sisters, Mary and Martha, have sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and knew that he could heal just about anything. And so they sent for him. But remember, Jesus waited. Jesus didn't immediately go to Lazarus. And so by the time he got there, Lazarus had died. He had been in the tomb, sealed up, For three days. And Mary comes and is actually a little bit angry with Jesus. And is saying, Lord, if you had come sooner, 
Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus looks at her and says, Lazarus is not dead. He is just waiting for this resurrection. And Mary says, well, Lord, I know that he's waiting for that resurrection when all people will be. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm going to bring him back. And that's when he says, roll the stone away. So you see, Mary has locked. She's obviously a believer in the Pharisees idea that says when we die, we're put in the tomb where, where Lazarus is put in the tomb where he is just resting his soul. Who he is, is just resting. The body disappears. We, we know that. Everybody has known that for all of time. But it's who we are. What happens to us? And Mary says, uh, you know, obviously we know that there's going to be a resurrection. In today's gospel lingo, we call it that great getting up morning. And Jesus says to her, no, I'm going to do something different. So, when the Romans pick this up, we have a God named Hades. And Hades rules the underworld. And so, in the day that Paul is writing this, I, I've, I've told you everything that came before. In the day that Paul is writing this letter now, the greatest nation in the world, the nation that is affecting every other nation in the world, the nation whose military has conquered the known world of the day, and has imposed their ideas and their thoughts upon the world, the prevalent idea of the world in this day, you, you've still got the Buddhist faith that is way off to the east. China has been connected at this point. So you've got all of those religions going on. So all of those things uh, have reincarnation and all of those things are, are going on in the world, but not for the Romans. In the, the Roman culture, you have a God named Hades, and you have his world. He is the brother of Zeus. Zeus, of course, is the God of everything that is above the earth. Everything that is in the heavens, and throws lightning bolts down from heaven, and this is Zeus. But Zeus has a brother. His name is Hades, and he rules the other world. And, and Zeus can't affect Hades, and Hades can't affect Zeus without permission. These two brothers have to allow the other into their worlds. And Hades isn't such a bad place. It's, it's not fire. If you're a Roman and, and we think about Hades, you're not thinking, boy, I'm going to have a terrible life. You're thinking, how do I have things to bribe Hades? Oh, I know the way we'll do this. For all of my life, I'm going to have a place that they're going to put a marker where I was buried. And my family will come to my grave and they will put food and they will put gifts and they will put things on my grave so that I can have things to bribe Hades with. And so that's what the Romans did. And so we get this first idea of you begin to build monuments 
around people that, that hold their bodies and you begin to bring gifts to it. Uh, if you're living in basically 1940 to about 2022 and you live in Alabama, what you do is you go down every year and you have your picture taken, right? Because uh, that's what you're going to bribe Hades with. Isn't that right, Joy? The, Joy doesn't have a single family picture that's not taken in front of a gravestone. That's what they do in Alabama, man. You get together and you have your family picture taken. Paul, it's Decoration Day, all right? We call it Memorial Day. So, you get the idea of death? Here's my question. What do you think? You've had to answer this question all your life. Can I take a stab at it? Well, preacher, that's what you're for. You answer those questions for us. Just tell me I'm okay and I'm good. What do you think? When you've drawn your last breath in this world, when the person that you have loved most in this world has, has drawn their last breath, what do you think? Where do you go? What happens to you? Is it as simple as, well, I'm not going to worry about it because God's got that? Or do you give it serious thought and try to understand what Paul is trying to say to a culture who is wrestling with that question. What happens when we die? I guarantee it's not because you don't care. Because health care in this nation is a billion, billion dollar industry. Which means we are fighting harder than we have ever fought in mankind's history to avoid death. So, don't tell me that we don't care. We do. The 8th chapter of Romans. Paul's going to say this to us in the 37th, 38th verse. He says, I am persuaded that neither death do you see where you're going to have to define it? I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, for the Jewish Christian person living in Rome. Paul has just described every way they have imagined to die. That's what he's done. Because the love of God is seen as life itself. For God loved the world. This is what I just told you. Because what is the glory of God? What is it that we are to be? We are to be God in this world. We are to be love in this world. 
What can separate us from God's love, from life, from living His purpose in our lives? Not death. Nor anything that would lead to death. Just the normal, everyday life. That can't separate us from the great love, the great purpose that we have in this world of being the glory of people. By the way, don't mistake love for, I, I, I defined love a couple weeks ago when I took you to 1 Corinthians 13. Don't confuse love with this squishy, gushy emotion that you think is out there just making sure that everybody feels valued and cared about. Love is the expression of God in this world where you, through your life, bring glory to God by bringing glory to others. What can separate us from that kind of life? Paul says, there is nothing in this world that you can imagine that can separate you from that love. But the question hangs in the air. But I'm going to die. And so if nothing can separate you from being the glory of God. Well you got to back up a little bit. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. Tribulation? Now these aren't the ways that, that, uh, that you might die. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. As it is written, and he's going to say, I'm persuaded that life or death or none of these things can do that. Do you think it's a coincidence that Paul has just listed everything that you would pray to Hades for? You took a gift and you placed it on a gravestone or in a memorial or in a monument or in a sepulcher and you prayed with that gift, Hades, don't let old age kill me. Well, then what are my options? Well, there's lots of options for the way to die. And you choose the way you want to die. And you pray that you don't die by those other ways. Why? Because the way you live and the way you give yourself into that determines your relationship with Hades on the other side. So, what is it that Paul's saying? Well, if you, if you want it clearly, here it is. Here it is. It says in Corinthians 15 that Christ has destroyed death. So as I was reading that and I was studying that this, this uh, last couple weeks, it just kept coming up to me. What are we saying that Christ has destroyed? What do we think Christ has destroyed if He has destroyed death? Has he, has he destroyed Hades? Is that what a Jewish Christian thought? Has He destroyed Nirvana? Has He destroyed the rest? What has He destroyed? 
What Paul says, what Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. And so death, this is Corinthians 15. Death, where is your sting? Listen to the word he uses. Hades, where is your victory? Do not translate that as hell, where is your victory? Who is Paul talking about? Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Roman god Hades. And the question is being presented to the people, where is Hades' power now? Why? Because let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. Paul has already been here. I delivered, verse 3 of chapter 15, I delivered to you all that I received. Christ died. Christ died. Just as Scripture, if you're reading along with me, Paul says, just as Scripture said he would. He was buried. And he rose again. Christ died as scripture said he would. Do you remember the Jews that said the Messiah cannot die because God cannot die? And there was the big rigmarole at the cross when you have Sadducees that are going up to Jesus and they're mocking him and they're saying, save yourself, come down from the cross. And Jesus utters his last words, and he dies, and everybody thinks it's over. And three days later, we get Easter morning. Christ died. They buried him, Paul says. And he rose on the third day, which the scriptures also told us would happen. Now, well, who saw? He was seen by Cephas. He was seen by the twelve. Verse 6. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, who most are still here. He was seen by James. He was seen by all the apostles. And if you don't believe any of those, lastly, I saw him myself, Paul says. And so Paul says, and so death, where is your victory? I don't know what you believe. I can tell you what I believe. Up until the time of Jesus, here you go, Paul. Paul's always saying, when are you going to give us the answer? Up until the time of Jesus, everybody slept. I, I think that's really clear from the Word of God. You don't have to agree with me here. I'm just giving you my answer so that... The point of the sermon is this. Let me make the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is, death is dead. Death has no power over us anymore. But the question this morning is, what does that mean? 
Christ has destroyed death. What do I think that means? What I think that means is, up until the time of Jesus, everybody that died rested. Could somebody come back from that rest? Yes, they can. When God brings somebody back. And so were there times in the Old Testament that we see somebody like a prophet Samuel that comes back and is able to, uh, to talk to King Saul? Yes, there is. And note what Samuel says when he comes back. Why have you disturbed my sleep? I believe up until the time of Jesus, everybody that lived, they just rested. The same way I would rest under anesthesia when I'm going into surgery. I absolutely don't know anything. Until the day of the resurrection. What is it that Christ did? Christ destroyed that death. And he led all who were asleep. And it says he went down and he got all of those. And he led them as a train. And so what do I believe now on this side of it? Well, brothers and sisters, I believe this. Here's the question. Did Christ destroy death for Christians? Or did he destroy it for everybody? My answer, Christ destroyed death for everybody. See, it didn't matter. Good or bad, before Christ, to die was to die, and it was to sleep. But after Christ, you go and you stand before Jesus Christ. And so now we can, we can talk about a Revelation 20 and 21 world. We can talk about, well, what is heaven? And I preached about that. Today, I just want this concept that what Paul is challenging in the church and in the Roman culture was, think about this, he says. Wrap your mind around this. Because we've got options of reincarnation. We've got options of an Egyptian underworld because the Egyptians are still a nation. We've got options of Hades and a Roman world in which you're giving sacrifices. And you've got Christians that are going to the graves of their loved ones and they're giving sacrifices there. Do you know that even in the middle centuries of a Christian world led by the Catholic Church, we dug holes in our graves down to the gravesite so that we could put gifts down there. Paul says, you really need to come to grips with this. What do you believe death is? Well, I've told you what I believe death was before, and I, I, I've told you what I believe it is now, and that is we are with Christ. To be absent from the body, Paul's real clear about this, is to be present with Christ. And Christ destroyed that death and let me tell you my goal if another heart attack gets me if the last one got me when I stand before my Lord and Savior who has destroyed the power that death has over me I don't believe anymore that I'm going and I'm just going to close my eyes in sleep and rest I believe I will stand before my Savior and here's the key Nothing can separate me, nothing in this world, nothing in the world that is to come, 
height, depth, nothing can separate me from the glory that I am in God. But there is one thing that could separate me from my Lord and Savior. And that is, if I have not given my heart to the only one who has secured eternity for all mankind. Amen.